Welcome to the Arrow Buddhist Tradition podcast series. The following podcast is from a teaching given by Nocturne Rinpoche in San Francisco in 2009 on the subject of relationship as practice. It is based on a book called Entering the Heart of the Sun and Moon, written by Nocturne Rinpoche and his wife, Contradation. For more information about the Arrow Buddhist tradition, please go to the website at arrowbuddhism.org. If you wish to make a donation to support this podcast project, please go to the section of the website labeled How to Help and select Make a Donation. Thank you. So, Kandro Pao, we talked about this. Nida. Uh, ni is a, uh, is a <coughs> contraction of Nima, which means sun. And Da is a contraction of Dawa, which means moon. So, Kandro Pao, Nida, the next word is Melong, which means mirror. So, it's the mirror which reflects the sun and moon of the Kandros and Pawos. Sun and moon here, the sun is female, the moon is male. And the sun and moon are symbols of the inner Kandro and the inner Pawo. Uh, if you look, say, at uh, Churdrol's Gomtag, I mean, apart from the difference in fabric, what do you notice about how it's wearing them? Colors are reversed, right? Yes, that's right. So th- this is the male channel, the female channel, and the central channel. So that symbolism is there all the time in the uh, reversal of um, of the sun and moon. So this is the lunar channel and the solar channel. So these are the internal aspects of male and female. So the Kandro Pao Nida Melong Gyut means Tantra. Uh, here Tantra means means two things. There is Tantra as in Tantric as it's usually understood, but here Tantra just means text or teaching. The word Do or Sutra is also used in, in, in Tantra as meaning a text. So this is the teaching of the mirror which reflects the sun and moon of the Kandros and Pawos. And you'll see this on the cover of the book if anyone wants to hold the thing up, you'll see uh, a Dzogchen Longde uh, practice shown here where you've got uh, a yogi and a yogini sitting and they're bound uh, together by a gomtag, one of these is just a long one, it goes between them and they sit and they each look into the mirror that's held up by the other. Is that the, the main practice, Rinpoche, or is that one it's of practices? It's one of the practices. The nature yeah. of space, so I take it that in traditional teachings, like the Virachana, their postures and their gazes and things of that nature yes. are different things. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, this is like that? That's right, yes. Mm-hmm. Rinpoche, would this be something we would do all the time, or just when we're trying to go from the derangement to the liberation? <coughs> or 
No, you don't have a. Uh, there's no. Um, there's no transformative approach to it because it's a Dzogchen teaching. So it's not you're trying to. Uh, these vignettes are just saying, well, this is how it is. But it's not that you're looking, oh, am I doing this, am I doing that? I if you catch some figment of it in yourself and say, oh, haha, I know what that is. I'm going to let go of that. And then you just let go of that in the moment. You stare into it, you find the presence of awareness in the dimension of that sensation of, of, of being whatever it is. But the main value of the vignettes is to see that the whole thing is mapped out and that there's nothing unique or special that you're doing in particular. <laughs> As, uh, within the realm of derangement, that's all pretty well codified. Hoping, well, maybe to be in the liberation. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> now inspiring. it's now it's time to probably go into how all that's possible, uh, which will make sense of itself in terms of what you've asked. Oh, we finish at half past four, don't we? <laughs> oh, sorry, no. <laughs> so the nyam of Kandra Power reflection is when you adventitiously experience the reflection of your own inner display in another person. So the other person becomes a mirror for you. Sorry, I didn't hear that. What do you mean by adventitiously? Oh, luckily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just accidentally. It just happens. Which is why I always think it's really dumb, you know, when you've uh, you know these dating agency things <laughs> where you have to write down oh I want him or her to be between these ages and then to have ears not exceeding this size and <laughs> whatever you put down there you, know. um, you should really write anyone <laughs> because you don't know who it's going to be I mean sure it helps if you've got some stuff in common but not really you can really fall in love with anyone. Uh, we do limit ourselves by having certain ideas, but actually it could be with anyone, and the broader it is, the better. So if, if we have obsessions about body type, body color, hair color, eye color, or whatever else we're thinking about, we're just limiting ourselves, but we actually have the capacity to fall in love with anyone that is there in us and it's only reduced by our own conceptual structures about what is attractive and what is not attractive does everyone follow that? so when this happens as it will happen um, 
one gains a reflection of one's own inner display. Now this has the effect of projecting us into spiritual practice. The spiritual practice it projects us into is one of wisdom and compassion or kindness and openness. People who fall in love with each other are open to each other's ideas and treat each other kindly. <laughs> They're not closed-minded and irascible. You don't get that. It doesn't work that way. That comes later. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're in love, you act in a kindly manner. You're generous, you're, you're all good things to the other person. And they're all good things to you. And as I say, often, it's impossible to stop me, when you're having dinner together, you use lovely candlelit meal, and he or she says, uh, do you like music? And you say, yes, yes. And you said, uh, what about, have you, uh, uh, I've got this huge Barry Manilow collection. <laughs> uh, what do you say? Oh, right. Well, I'd like to hear some. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear some. And then you're listening to it and you think, you know, I've never listened to him like this before. <laughs> and it's true, you haven't. Yeah? I'm just glad I never fell in love with anyone like Barry <laughs> But it's very interesting how that happens. That you are open, because, I mean, what would it be to close down? No, no he sucks. Hate him. Don't want to listen to him. <laughs> I mean, that's going to put a crimp on the romantic evening, isn't it? Completely. <laughs> So you're not inclined to do that. You actually want to like that thing you didn't like before or that you weren't interested in because you're open. And this is what's inspired by the nyam of Kandrapawa reflection. It's also inspired by neurosis. Now this is the particularly good part of this because you thought neurosis was all bad, didn't you? But no. <laughs> now, um, if you look at samsara, um, the main problem with samsara is that it doesn't work. Ergin Doji was talking a little bit about this earlier in terms of the elements. Samsara is not just something that's naughty, bad and wicked and we shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> that is uh, an idea that arises from our Judeo-Christian orientation. This is not what samsara is. Samsara is a deluded mechanism. Because it's a deluded mechanism, it does not work. This is the most important thing. We want it to work, but it doesn't work. We make excuses for it all the time. <laughs> 
for why it doesn't work. It's your fault that it's not working. <laughs> you spoiled it. It would have been the perfect scheme, but you ruined it, or he ruined it, or she ruined it. So I try it again, and it doesn't work again. And then the space element is when you run out of excuses for samsara, so you just pretend you don't understand. <laughs> and that's called depression. Mm. I'm going to sulk now. <laughs> So samsara doesn't work. Now, this is really interesting because the fact that samsara doesn't work means that it has to offer you opportunities for liberation. That is part of its non-functioning because samsara doesn't even work in its own terms. <laughs> because it does not work in its own terms, because it is a faulty me mechanism, it cannot help but give you opportunities for liberation. If it could give you no opportunity for liberation, it would be a perfect mechanism, yes? But it's an imperfect mechanism, so it must give you opportunities for liberation. So what happens even in a neurotic situation when you're not really falling in love with somebody, but you're wanting to manipulatively seduce somebody? What do you do? You act as if you're open and kind. You can't seduce somebody by being closed-minded and nasty. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Does everyone follow that? Mm -hmm. So, let's forget about manipulative seduction. Let's look at just falling in love in terms of neurosis. If you wish to capture this other person, you have to be consistently open-minded and kind. And you want to be. Even though it's driven by neurosis, you are forced into Buddhist practice. Because <laughs> it doesn't work any other way. So you have the nyam of Kandra power reflection, which is impelling that, and at the same time you have your neuroses, which are impelling the same thing, which is why it's such a powerful situation. It's supported by wisdom and it's supported by neurosis at the same time. <coughs> You look as if you're thinking about something there. Hey, I was thinking, I was wondering if you could state it in terms of another element's neuroses, rather than seduction. Well, I'm using seduction because it's connected with um, romance, oh. rather than it being connected with an element. I see. I'm not really, uh, I wasn't approaching it from the fire element in particular. Is there still a question? I'm not sure. Probably. 
this is the same kind of concavity and convexity you're talking about before. <clears throat> that one is samsara and nirvana, they're two sides of the... Mm -hmm. just yes. When you say you experience the display of your inner quality in the mirror of the other person, um, is that, is, is that uh, you're seeing the mirror of your, your positive, so your enlightened qualities, as well as your um, the sort of maladaptive? No, no, you're not. You're not seeing the maladaptive? No. You're seeing the enlightened qualities? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Except you don't really know you're seeing that, you just know it feels good and everything's mm -hmm. great, and the other person is very interesting. Mm -hmm. But that's what you're seeing when you experience it. Yes, that's, that, really that, that's what you're really seeing, mm -hmm. and it awakens this other potential. Now, somewhere in, um, I don't know what chapter it's in, maybe we could find it and read it, I think it would be great, because um, uh, there's a book called Les Miserables, by Victor Hugo and um, he describes a couple falling in love here and I think this is really quite important because this was pre-Jung and Freud and psychology and whatever and certainly pre Nakhachogya <laughs> so um, and you pre anybody having any influence from the East at all in terms of any of this. So Victor Hugo didn't know anything about the the Dakini or or the female principle or any of that stuff. Right? So he's just writing this from his perception and what he says is exactly what's being said in the Kandropao Nidamirambut. It's really quite remarkable. Um, Strange, the first symptom of true love with a young man, it is timidity. With a young girl, it is boldness. This is amazing, yet nothing is more simple. As they draw closer, each takes the quality of the other. And then it and goes then, on, <coughs> there's another part. The look of Cosette sent Marius mad, and the look of Marius made Cosette tremulous. Marius went away confident and Cosette disorientated. But from that day they adored each other. I, I, I find that whole text fascinating because it was written round about the time of the war between the states. Because uh, Lee's, Robert E. Lee's troops were reading it and they nicknamed themselves Lee's Miserables. <laughs> so that's, that's not my joke, that was their joke. <laughs> that, so the book was written pre-1865 and to be translated into English it must be, I think there's a, probably a date there, well, 1860 sometime. So this is um, part of human experience um, I was really quite excited to find that because uh, sometimes people think that there's such a beast as Eastern thought when they think of Dharma as being something Eastern. Uh, from reading this you can see that that same understanding was available to a Frenchman a hundred odd years ago. Mm -hmm. 
So it's this quality of inversion that occurs that's really quite interesting. Now, um, I'll have a look now a little bit at the problems that arise. I mean, we have all these wonderful possibilities here in terms of Vajra romance, in terms of romance as practice, and how romance can be maintained that I'll probably talk about a bit later. Uh, but what I want to talk about now is what the problems are. If you are in a state where you have an aspect of yourself to which you have either no or little access, you will be aware of that even though you don't know what it is. If you are lacking something, you will have a sense of lack even if you don't know what you lack. and you'll be impelled to seek that out. So men and women usually look to each other for what they lack. And this is problematic because you already have it. So if you already have it but don't know you have it and seek it elsewhere, then some form of um, distortion occurs. So women seek method display and men seek wisdom display. But the problem is in terms of samsara, you can't get it by getting it. Because as soon as you get wisdom display from the point of view and the situation of distorted method display, you've lost it because once it's captured it's no longer wisdom display and in order to have it you have to capture it from that distorted point of view uh, which, I, which I describe as the dead elephant sketch so you're an elephant hunter and you're out there and, you're, and there's the mighty elephant it's got this trunk and tusks and it's charging along it's a fabulous beast and then you get your rifle then you go up to the elephant and it's a dead elephant and then you blame the dead elephant for being useless and you have to go and shoot another elephant but the actual exciting bit is just watching the elephant but uh, you know as soon as you shoot the elephant it's a dead elephant or a dead eagle, or a dead badger, or vole, or whatever it is you shoot. So it's, it's distorted method displays approach to capture wisdom display, but once wisdom display is captured, it no longer seems like wisdom display. Um, the other story uh, is Kondratechen's story about horses. If, you're, if you have no contact with your inner method display and you want to experience method display, that is power, um, she describes it as being like a herd of horses. One's looking at this 
herd of horses and saying what what wonderful horses you know look at the the power of these horses and they're galloping towards me oh great <laughs> yes and then you're trampled but you have to be trampled in order to experience that but you don't want to be trampled also so it always undermines itself uh, you can't experience power vicariously without being in the shadow of power. But if you really want to experience power, you have to be overpowered, because that is the total experience of having power without having power. If you haven't got the power, all you can do, ultimately, is be overpowered. And that's the total experience of power, which then turns into powerlessness. And you can't have wisdom display if you capture it, because wisdom display is not capturable. And if you can only have it by capturing, then as soon as you capturing it, capture it, it's gone. Is the difference then in the two, the distorted and the non-distorted? In the one case, we're we're trying to get what we don't have, and in the other case, it's a reflection of what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, in in the piece from Les Misérables, um, you know, you can really see that where he talks about the that man becoming tremulous and the woman becoming bold. You know, because they're they're discovering their inner displays, which is quite interesting in terms of um, Vajrat romance here. If we look at what tremulous means and why, I'll, I'll say more about that. Um, in terms of Vajrat romance and uh, relating to one's partner, what is extremely important is is how you make that a practice in terms of uh, dealing with one's own distortion so a man always needs to seek out threat from his partner this is not good news I can see in some people's <laughs> expressions <laughs> um, and a woman needs to seek out challenge. Now, this does not mean that the m man has to be challenging, and it does not mean the woman has to be threatening. <laughs> this is something purely internal for each. So I, as a man, seek out threat. So, but why would I do that? Why would I seek out threat? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 why, why, why would I do that? To shake up the solidity. Ah, very good. He's a bright man. Thank you. Yes, because male is form is method, and the only way, the only way method can change, the only way form can change, is to be broken. And then emptiness, on the other hand, 
has to be coaxed into existence, into form, has to become form, so has to be challenged. So the whole thing is a play of emptiness and form. So the threat that's being looked at in terms of being male is the threat to all my codified structures as having a structural <coughs> basis. So I'm looking to my partner to threaten my form fixation. And as a woman I'm looking to the man to uh, uh, as being an innate uh, <coughs> impression out there that causes me to challenge myself, to rise to challenges. Mm. Is this necessarily like just a, a male, anatomically male person mm. would then think like what you're just saying, like it needs threat and then vice mm -hmm. versa. Or would these be interchangeable and could each of us have different aspects of ourselves working with those at the same time? You have to remember I've only got an IQ of 66, so <laughs> could, could we go back over that again? Yeah, I just, I just heard, it's like, okay, men would see threat, you know, men sort of exhibiting oh, outer display is, is it's not that, no, it's not that they see threat, is they have to try to see it. But what if that's the tendency of a woman to try to do that and then a man in that relationship would do the other, even though they have the different external forms? Well, I'm you, just seeing how that's linked with gender anatomically. Well, you, well, you wouldn't be doing that because that's not the instruction. The instruction is to I seek see. out threat okay. or to seek out challenge. It, it's, uh, I mean, the words threat and challenge are, are, are basically the same. They're not that different. There's just a, there's just a subtle skewing of them as being male and female because from emptiness, form arises. You could say instead of challenge, you could say coaxed. Or, uh, or conjured, or, or hmm? invoked. Something is going to happen, and then from the male position, something has got to collapse and fall apart, which is also positive and becomes something more interesting, because you can't uh, change an object without breaking it. If it's going to become something more interesting, something more fabulous, then you've got to take it apart and reassemble it. It's got to lose its form. It can't hang on to its form. So it's sort of form dancing with emptiness and then yes. emptiness. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, it's something that should really happen um, subliminally you know it's not really that it's a menak de indication it's not something that you're really consciously thinking about and and working out uh, you know at a gross level of intellect it's just you have that as an indication that I'm seeking out threat and once you've said that then you forget it practically unless your partner's trying to suggest that your wonderful plan might be rearranged and you think ooh I got that resistance there and then you remember at that point mm.
is it the is it the dualistic tendency for women to seek out threat and for men to seek out challenge? No. No. No, this is the practice. Okay. And in order to be able to appreciate the reflection of my inner nature, do I have to first also, seems like a paradox, maybe I would have to be in touch with that in order to actually appreciate what's being reflected? Not particularly, no. No, it seems to happen to people whether or no. But I, I think the main problem is that uh, romantic love is as brief or lengthy as the openness of the person. So for somebody who's really locked in, closed off, it's not going to last very long because you start um, doing, which and I'll explain why later, but um, uh, the more open you are, the more duration it will have. So, I'm just wondering how sexuality comes into play in terms of just that, that Gender. I don't need to explain that, do I? <laughs> <laughs> does the does the sexual aspect energize the ability to do this practice, or does it? I'm just wondering. No, it can how you would describe it coming uh, uh, into play. Uh, well, I'd say by mutual agreement, but um, <laughs> but. Um, Sexuality doesn't have to come into it at all in terms of romance. Uh, in an old-fashioned scenario, you know, where you, you've got to have the marriage first, this thing can be in full flight, you know, mm -hmm. before that occurs. I'm, I'm not talking you know. about, you know, like, uh, I'm talking about like sexual attraction more than actually sexual activity, like just that sexual spark or. Well, that's that would that's uh, maybe I'm well I, I am an odd boy but um, <laughs> but I I don't actually see them as being separate. I mean there is uh, sexual attraction without romance, but um, I don't have much experience of that. Uh, I think if you've gone down that road you've 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 got some distortions to deal with uh, that's a little bit alien to me I know it occurs but um, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for it's um, ooh, I've lost the word it's it, yeah, it's an objectification, and um, all kinds of weird things are possible if you objectify other people, and and if you if you take one part of something and hive it off, 
and become obsessed with that, that's actually quite unhealthy. I mean, it, it can be culturally indoctrinated, but it's not healthy. You know, uh, sexuality and romance ought to be just part of the same thing. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at, this, uh -huh. how it is part of that whole, the magical part of falling in love. Yes. It's, it's, it's mixed, oh, sure. Mixed, in, mixed yeah. in with the magic. Yeah, absolutely. Initially, <clears throat> that's what, what attracts us to um, partner, right? I mean, th th there is that um, of seeing the inner display. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if that's not the case, then we just have to keep the practices to reawaken. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the vignette, it seems like, or is it so that the difference between um, the liberated and, and distorted qualities has to do with openness? I mean, that, that they become, they either become progressively more open to each other mm -hmm. or progressively more closed. Mm -hmm. Is that the case? Y yes, uh, I think we're going to get onto that in terms of 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 how you kill the reflection. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, we we speak in this way, do we not? Rather iconographically, that the the man seeks out, the man who is, quote, form, seeks out emptiness mm -hmm. as his practice, as a threat, and the woman who is, quote, emptiness, seeks out form as a challenge. Mm -hmm. But is it not the case that the problem for everyone is form addiction and emptiness aversion? Yes. So can you describe how that works for the woman's perspective. <laughs> well, because emptiness is form, and form is emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> there are styles of, or, I mean, both are form addicted, yes, but, uh, but one is form addicted, colored by emptiness, and the other form addicted, colored by form. Mm. You know, both are form addicted, but but the um, Kandro is form addicted in a different way, in a way that's characterized by emptiness. Right. But, <coughs> but emptiness in terms of um, a whole range of phenomena that are actually hard to describe. That's why it's called wisdom display rather than emptiness display, because wisdom here means a lot of things. It means... Uh, obliqueness, it means all kinds of things, it means whimsy, it means um, uh, something tangential, something not quite codified, something um, uh, sometimes um, unfortunately a lot of the words uh, in English um, like you can say rational, then if you say irrational, irrational is a bad word. 
Whereas that actually shouldn't be. It should be rational, and you could say non-rational. I mean, we've coined it now because we needed another word, so we talk about non-rational and rational in order to say that you know you can't just work on rationality all the time. It doesn't work. So then, the female would be the non-rational aspect, or the super-rational aspect, or the. But but both have both. You know, it's not that uh, you know there's no uh, absolute definition of male and female here. There are simply glimpses, and you can't hang on to any of them. Is it possible to say that? You know, a, a predominantly emptiness identification in that sense. exists within the framework of security and that would be one way that it's a form addiction that mm -hmm. has to be broken yeah. or, mm -hmm. or drawn out by challenge. Mm -hmm. I mean, contradiction I are actually um, an, an, an interesting example because of, you know, if you got too fixated on looking at um, the male is pattern, the female is chaos for the opposite way around. <laughs> we don't look like that. She's the one who draws all the diagrams and gets things arranged and does this and that. You know, I'm the person who wafts around being a lunatic most of the time, you know, and um you know, and if I was left to look after the children, I'd be there boogieing with them at midnight. <laughs> not getting them to bed and not being sensible or whatever. Um, so there's that, that, that thing there. Uh, but but um, I really love her sense of order and she really likes the way I break up her sense of order, you know, because she said, you know, you know, if my sense of order just prevailed all the time, it would get really tedious. Mm. So it's kind of nice when you say, hey, what about if we don't do it that way? Mm. And um, she's always glad when I say that. You know, that's, um, but we don't look up archetypal in terms of any sort of description. <laughs> and that's really quite useful for people because they can't make anything of it. Mm. And that what ends up being male or female is just quite indescribable and it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So, any other questions before we go on? In, in terms of when we have a lack and then we're going to keep attracting the situation to, to artificially get it, would this practice apply or is there some way to deal with that lack internally before entering into a relationship? Yeah, we sit. <laughs> <coughs> Sitting meditation, <coughs> being open to the sense fields. And you have, of course, the practice of regarding the entire realm of phenomenal reality as being method display. So you're in relationship all the time. You're in relationship with the entire phenomenal universe. You know, in terms, um, and I should uh, stress that this is not built into being male or female that we view the world in this way. This is a practice that I vow to view phenomenal reality as wisdom display, and then I let that <coughs> rest in my sense of sensing without trying to do it.